Well, good morning. I'm used to turning on a microphone when I step up here, so it's a little different. I'm going to get my laptop out here, like Paul. So, uh, I do want to say this. Uh, I'm very humbled and honored that you would have, have me to you know, invite me back. Um, it, you know, I love coming here. I love meeting you guys and uh, just the fellowship and all of that that just comes from being a Christian. It always amazes me how that people that are really just strangers, how that because of Christ we have that, that common bond, that common unity in Christ. And, uh, and, I, and I appreciate it. Like Paul has said, just you know, everything that's been done for us, uh, it, it's almost embarrassing. It's so good, so... And I don't know, I'm not as tall as Paul, I don't even know if this thing works, does it? So I probably better pull it down to my height, right? Yeah, okay. Um, I just I just want to say thanks for all that's been done for us. Uh, and, you know, my wife, my family, just being here. So with that being said, I don't want to delay. I know how Baptists are. I know we've got pizza coming at 12.15, and I don't want anybody angry at me. So, if you would, would you uh, find in your Bibles the book of Luke, and uh, if you would, would you find verse 38, and we're going to stand in honor of the word of the Lord, the reading of the word, and uh, when you get that, would you just stand with me, and I'll wait for you a second, and we will read the scriptures, or I'll read it. Did I not say that part? How about chapter 10? That'll be the best one. I guess there's probably several verse 38s in the book of Luke. I don't know, pick one and maybe it'll work for you. I was wondering why everybody was sitting there. Now I get it. I do want to say this. Uh, it's, a, it's a terrible thing when you think you're ready and you go and figure out you forgot to wear your belt. That was embarrassing. I started to leave, and I heard the music playing, and I was like, well, it's too late for that. And I sat down only to find out a button on my shirt down where my six-pack is at. It was, uh, it was unbuttoned, and I thought, this is getting worse. Maybe I'm not near as ready as I thought I was. But I'm trusting in God's grace and His Spirit today. In verse 38, it reads this. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Father, this morning I bow before you, and this is the most simple, basic way that I know. It is my prayer that you would get glory for yourself in all things that are done today through the singing, the teaching, the preaching. Through all things, Lord, I pray that your word would be proclaimed as it ought to be, and where the speakers have flaws, 
and we make mistakes, it is my prayer that your Holy Spirit would make these truths known and clear and open to those that are on the receiving end. And it is my prayer today that Jesus would be exalted and magnified as he should. We pray that your will would be done, nothing more and nothing less. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I, I want to say this, uh, it has been an amazing thing also to see the work that God has done in the lives of, of Dexter and Raina and their family. I, I knew Dexter when he was a lot younger, and I remember one day he called me. He was living in San Antonio, Texas, and I had been hearing from his mom. Now, his mom is, I love her to death, but she's kind of like my mom. My mom loves me so much, she's going to tell me well, no matter what I do, it's good. And that's kind of the way his mom is, and she was telling me how Dexter was just growing. One day I get a phone call at work, and it's him. And I mean, Scripture is just pouring out. I didn't know why I kept taking my phone, and I kept backing it up, and his name was on top of it. And I'm like, what in the world has happened here? And it's been amazing to see that. And I also want to say this. Paul Wilson has been one of my best friends for for years. I can't even go into all the depths of how we met. But Paul is a guy that always makes me feel good because when you listen to Paul, you probably feel maybe a little less intelligent than you started out. And when I acknowledge that, he gets on to me and says, Brother, you know, you are very capable. So he makes me feel good, and I'm not sure if I can believe him either. But... But right now, we're going, to, we're going to try to help you get to feeling better about yourselves that you're not as you know, low on the IQ list as you thought after listening to Paul, because he is very, very gifted and intelligent. So this morning, though, without, just getting a little bit more serious here, I want to tell you something to get this started. Years ago, I had a good friend before he was a believer. He was in dire need of a job. He actually was from Kansas. He lived, in, he lived here, and, um, and he had a friend that had a, had a job down way down in West Texas. And my friend was needing a job very bad. Money was tight. And he said, man, if you can make your way down here, he said, just come to this place. This, this factory was way out in the middle of nowhere, and it was, had a, a, a fence with barbed wire on the top all the way around it. And he said, just go out there. And he said, a man will come. And when the man comes and he says, are any of you men machinists? He said, you just raise your hand and tell him you are. He said, but I'm not. And he goes, I don't care. You just tell him you are. Now, what he didn't tell my friend was that there was going to be 500 other men standing there with him. But a man came out to the fence and he said, is anyone here a machinist? And my friend said, oh, yeah, right here. Only hand that went up. They let him in. Now, the problem was he wasn't a machinist. But he was the most overjoyed employee of that place he was working. The, the machinists were the top of the food chain. They were the ones like, you know, that everybody was kind of just beneath them. And as these jobs would go, there would be, you know, they, they didn't do the, the things beneath them. They didn't sweep up after themselves. They didn't clean up. They didn't do anything like that. But my friend, when break time would come, he would grab a broom and he'd be cleaning up. I mean, he was working so hard. And his theory was this. They're going to figure out I'm not a machinist, but I want them to understand that I'm a worker, so maybe they'll just demote me to something, but I can keep a job. 
And he made a deal with one of the old grumpy old machinists there. He says, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not really a machinist, but I'll do anything you tell me if you'll teach me how to be a machinist. Well, time went on. Nobody figured out he wasn't a machinist. But you know what happened to him? He went from being the most overjoyed employee to now he took the breaks. All of this other stuff was beneath him. I always find it odd in Christianity how we start. We start with such a childlike faith where we want to be with Christ. And it's odd, the more that we learn, the further sometimes it feels that we get away from him. He says right here in the first point of this, the title of my sermon is, One Thing is Needed. That's the title. If you're a note taker, the title is One Thing is Needed. The first point is Jesus is Welcomed. We read here, and it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. Now this is Jesus and his disciples are walking with him, and, and it says they entered this village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Now, I know that it's just us, and you guys have been very good to us, but, but I can imagine that if it was really John MacArthur and Steve Lawson that came, I don't know, there might be a little bit like, we would like you at our house. But the point is this. The thing is, I mean, picture, if you will, Jesus has come to your town. His name, the fame of his name has spread everywhere at this point. But here's a family that Jesus loves dearly. And when he comes, they're saying, hey, Jesus is here. And Martha makes sure she runs out and she says, Jesus, come to my house. Now, I want to say something about welcoming people into your home. There's a sense that you could say, yeah, come on in. And then you could leave a person sitting there and you could just go about your life as normal and it would be kind of odd. I remember years ago, we went to a place and we were invited over for dinner. The husband wasn't there. I don't remember exactly what was going on, but the wife just disappears somewhere in the house. I mean, it got plum awkward, me and my wife sitting there, and we're like, what do you think we ought to do? I mean, you know, you think she's passed out, passed away? I mean, we didn't know. But I'll just be honest, even though we were welcomed in, we didn't feel very welcome. To welcome someone is to bring them in with all hospitality. It's to, it's to not entertain them in a jokey kind of way, but it is to make them this, the guest of honor. It's to kind of put the spotlight on them, right? Well, Mar- Martha says, I want, I'm, I'm welcoming you into my home. Now, we get to verse 39. The next point is this. That first point went fast, didn't it? We might make it by 1215. Verse 39, Jesus is worshipped. I mean, we get right into it. Now, it says, she, being Martha, had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, because we don't know the culture many times of what the Jewish people were like back then, you've got to understand this was very taboo. Mary should not, by the the norm of the culture of that day, women did not go into the room where the men were at. 
Now, I can only imagine that when Martha welcomed him in, she probably brought her brother Lazarus in and probably some of his friends. There was probably a, a pretty good gathering in this, in this house. But where do we find Mary? She is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, in one sense, she is at the, the lowest place of everybody in the room. I mean, you got to understand, back in these days, they had a custom where you would wash the feet of the guests that you would bring into your home. I mean, there was really no lower job than being the foot washer. I mean, think about it. These people are walking around with sandals. Their feet are probably nasty, and they would come in, and somebody would put a pan of water before them, and they would begin to wash their feet. And it was just as normal as, as us giving each other a handshake. And we find, yeah, we find Mary down there, on the floor at his feet. So in one sense, she was in the lowest place, but in another sense, she was the one that was most near to him. And not only that, but more importantly than, than just her positioning of her body before the Lord, it's where her heart was at. It says right here, it says that she, uh, she heard his word. And another way of saying it, this is my way of saying it, she was hanging on every word that he was speaking. Now, like I'll say it again, typically a woman should not have been in that room with the men while they were talking, while they were communing. She should have been doing the things that the women should do. People don't understand this. A lot of times Christians get accused of being uh, misogynists. We're uh, uh, what's the other word? Male chauvinist. You know, it's like we're trying to keep our women here and there. Do you realize that Christ was the greatest liberator of women's rights there's ever been? And you say, oh, no, we do more than that day. Yeah, but what's done today is sinful. It's putting a woman in a position that is not hers. Christ elevated. He tells us in Galatians, he says, there's no more Jew. There's no more Greek. There's no more male nor female. And let me make something clear. We're not to use that passage wrongly and say that God has made it that women can do everything that men can do. You cannot, nor can men do everything that women can do. But before the Lord in worship, we're on an equal playing field. And so where do we see Mary? She is worshiping Christ. Now, wait a second. It doesn't say she's singing. No. Do you know that worship is, can be done in song? Worship is done in teaching. Worship is done in preaching. But worship is also done in listening. That is worship. To listen to the Word of God being proclaimed. We need to broaden our understanding of what it is to worship God. My mother told me one time she was just a, a housewife and my dad worked. She stayed at home and, and she says one day, she says, if all I have to do today is clean the toilets, I'm going to do it to the glory of God. Even cleaning the bathroom can be worship to the Lord. So Mary is found in a place where she is hanging on the words of Christ. We get to the next point. And we see Martha is weary. Now remember, she was welcoming Christ into her home. Now, ladies, I'll just be this. Let's, we don't want to beat up Martha too bad. 
But what we see is we see a lady that no doubt she come, he come in and she gets excited and she's in the kitchen and she's preparing and cooking and measuring and she's trying to tidy up. She didn't know he was coming. We know how, I know how women are. Men, we don't care, do we? It's like, we were, I invited a bunch of people over. My wife goes into a panic, right? We, you, all the women do that. It's like, oh, we got to clean the house. I'm like, ah, it's good enough. Well, we think differently, don't we? So you can just picture Martha, and she's just working. And then out of the corner of her eye, she's looking over there at Mary. Mary's not helping her. She, what is, why isn't she helping me? Can I just tell you something? Oftentimes in Christianity, this can happen to pastors. Do you know that sometimes I can get so busy doing what the Lord has called me to, trying to prepare sermons, trying to prepare Bible study, trying to do this, go over here, do that. And all the while, there's one main ingredient that's missing, and it's Christ himself. I'm not talking about what we would necessarily call sinful activity. But what I'm talking about is how that we can get to a point. We can be studying. Paul talked to us about creation. Do you know it's very possible for Paul, and I think you could probably tell there was a lot more information he could have gave. He's not faking it. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I can go on for days about this. And all that really means is that's all they know. They're through. They just don't want you to know that. But I know Paul, and I've heard him talk on these things more and there's part of me going, oh, I hope he says this part, but he, he didn't. There was a lot more there, right? But do you know that Paul could get so caught up in that that he could lose sight of Christ? It's amazing how there's a balance here, isn't it? And it happens. It happens, it happens in all of our lives. We can be trying to, to do the things that we feel like God has called us to do. My wife and I, we felt like several years ago, about 12, 13 years ago, we saw we, it was kind of just a thing where God was working in me and he was working in her. And we came to the realization that, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should do foster care. And everybody, all of our friends said, oh, it's such a great thing that you're doing. People even tell us today, like, oh, man, you guys are special. Man, the work that y'all, oh, man, the love that's in y'all. And we're sitting here going, we're about to lose our mind. We have found sinful things in our heart that came out of doing this that we never knew were there. And we don't think we're doing near as good a job as the people on the outside think we're doing. And somewhere in there, we lose sight that we forgot that we felt like Christ, that God was calling us to do this. We lose sight of being Christ to these kids. And oh man, it's so difficult. It's so gut-wrenching when that happens. But we see Martha, she's weary. She's, he says, Martha, he says, you're, you're distracted with much serving. And, and, and think about this. Do we get distracted? I want to I flip over here to Matthew chapter 6 just, just for briefly here. I want you to listen to this. Matthew 6 and what is called the, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'm going I'm to read verse 25, then I'm going to pick right back up in verse 31. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or drink, or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 25, he says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But he says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow shall will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. She was weary. The next section is, it is about worry. I probably got ahead of myself on my notes. But he says, Martha was distracted with much serving. She Listen, she approached him. She comes to Jesus. And look what happens. She says, Lord, do you... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I can tell you this about pastors, especially where there's not a plurality of elders. There's many, many times that you feel very alone. You're looking around and and you're seeing all the things you're trying to do that you're trying to accomplish. And all you're getting sometimes is negative feedback. Aren't you going to do this? We did it this way. We've always done this. What are you doing? And you're doing this and you feel so alone. And there's a part of you that says, Lord, can you not see what I'm doing here? How come you're not giving me any help? I want you to think about the audacity of Martha. She comes in and picture this. Jesus is speaking. He is, he's discipling people. And she comes in and interrupts him and says, Lord, don't you even care? I mean, let's read it. Don't, don't you even care that my sister has left me alone or left me to serve alone? Now, think about how Mary's feeling about this. I mean, not only has she come in and accused, but now she's spotlighted Mary. And then she says this. She says, tell her to help me. Now she is commanding the Lord to do this. Folks, if we're not careful, oh my goodness. I've seen, I've seen sisters. I just want my husband to lead. That's what they say. I just want my husband to lead. And there's like, Lord, I just, just change him. And, and so what do they do? They're helping the Lord change him by leaving the Bible open to certain passages. I'm highlighted real good. Leave a pamphlet, a book, you know, how to be a godly husband. And he's just like rolling his eyes, right? I mean, remember, remember what he told the women that had an unbelieving husbands in, in Peter, you know, he's like, that's not the way to do it. Don't, don't do it like that. Do it without saying anything. Live a Christian life. Live that and leave the results up to God. I mean, it's, and it's hard. It's difficult. But then when the husband steps up, steps up and leads, Lord, do you see what he's doing? He's not leading the way I told him to. It happens sometimes, doesn't it? I was in a church one time. It had been a church split. I wasn't part of that. I was just invited to come speak. This was uh, Dexter's aunt and uncle. They were part of this, and they were having a service in their home. They had a big, nice room, and 
They said, would you come over and preach? And I, I didn't know what was going on. And, but there was a lady there, and she just, her husband wouldn't attend. They had left the church, but he wouldn't come to this group, and, or at least at first. And she's just like, I just want my husband to lead. And then when he finally led, see, the group decided to go do this together. But her husband says, no, we're going to go to church over here. She didn't like that. And I asked her, I said, hold on a second. You said you wanted your husband to lead, right? Yeah. I said, he is. Yeah, but I, I said, yeah, he, God's not going to tell him to lead the way that you want him to lead. Ah, man, it's so difficult, isn't it? But that's what we see Martha doing here. She doesn't like what's going on. She doesn't like that she's serving by herself. Brady Brewer came here last year. I'm sure y'all enjoyed him. He's one of my best friends. We, you know, I, I go to the bus station with him all the time. Ken is there. I mean, I think that's where y'all met up here. No? Yeah, and then, then uh, yeah, and then I met Ken through that. And so it's, it's been just quite a great friendship. But do you know for years in the church that Brady was in, he wasn't the pastor or anything. He just went out and street preached by himself. Do you know what God has called you to do? Just do it joyfully. You might be all by yourself. For years, I did prison ministry for about 14 years. But about the first four, nobody from my church went with me. I was just always by myself. I was with a group of men for a little while, but then all of a sudden I was just doing my own service and I was just driving all by myself. And you know what? It would creep in every now and then. How come, I, how come nobody will come with me? How come nobody will help me, Lord? And we get weary and we start worrying about things. See, Martha was distracted with much serving. She approaches him. Lord, don't you care? Make my sister help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, he says, Martha... Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Well, you're worried and troubled about many things. Do you remember when, when Peter... And the rest of the disciples were on this boat out in the sea, and a storm had come up, and it was... These guys were professional fishermen. They knew how to conduct themselves on a boat. But they were fearful that they were going to die. That's how much the storm was raging. And they look out there, and they, they see someone walking on the water. And they're afraid, and he says, don't be afraid, it's I. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And he says, come. And he stepped out of that boat. And for the first time, somebody other than Jesus stepped on this water, and he just stood It held him up. He didn't sink. And he started walking to Christ. But it says, but when he saw the waves boisterous around him, he began to sink. Is this not what happens to us? See, my question to you is this. How do you identify in Christ? Do you identify by what you do? Or do you identify in your devotion to? I'll share this with you. <clears throat> the church that my wife was raised in, and 
she evangelized me into that church at age of 19. And I was there for the next 18 years of my life. I'd preached in many of these churches, and I'd been ordained an elder and all these things. And then I come to the realization, we're wrong. We're, we're really wrong. And we left that church, and I went from preaching all the time. I mean, I felt a call to preach the Word of God, and, 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 and man, I mean, it was my greatest joy. And I go from that to not preaching anywhere. And, I, and I, I've prayed many times. I'd be like, Lord, if you've called me to preach, how come there's no doors being opened to me? And I'd walk down the road. And I mean, when I pray, a lot of times I just walk and my arms are, Dexter talked about this. He remembered this. I, I walk down the road and I mean, I, I get pretty crazy looking. I mean, I'm waving my arms and I'm like, Lord, you know, if you've called me to preach, how come there's no doors being opened to me? And the Lord, He didn't speak audibly to me. But I believe that God speaks to us through His Spirit in, on the inside. And He asked me a question. Do you think that I need you to preach? It's kind of like Elijah. Remember, he says, Lord, I'm the only one left. Everybody else has forsaken you. And God says, Elijah, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee. I've got them reserved. He said, do you think I need you to preach? And the second question, and I knew the answer. I thought, Lord, there's preachers everywhere. You don't need me to preach. So I realized I wasn't as important as maybe I thought. But then the second question was this. If I never used you to preach another sermon... Is Jesus enough for you? I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't want to answer that. I identified my role in Christ with the fact that I was a preacher. Martha identified, it looks like, a little bit, and she was, a, she was great at serving. She was probably a great cook. She's probably serving some great food. Everybody brags about Martha's cooking. Mary, she's not as good. She does okay. She makes some good cookies. But she's sitting there at the feet of Jesus. Ask yourself this. How do you identify in Christ? I mean, think about it. If God took everything away from you, Everything that you felt like was your role in the body of Christ and He stripped it from you. Is Christ, is Jesus enough? Is just Jesus enough for you to worship? You're, the theme of this conference is created for worship. Do, do you identify that you're an elder? Do you identify that you're a bishop? Do you have to have a title? Do you have to have a role? You know what's the most amazing thing? Well, I, I can remember being young, okay? And, and I was in this crazy church, right? And I mean, I was so overjoyed. And I mean, I would be out just like I grew up. I mean, I grew up... Now listen, folks. I was in the mid to late 70s and early 80s, and we wore shorts back then. You might call them a Speedo today. 
But when I got married, I was a young man. I think we had one, we had, we'd had our first child. And man, I would get out with the lawnmowers, a push mower, and I had on my shorts and my flip-flops. That's, that's good safety gear, right? I was sweating, and I had the headphones on. And some of y'all might remember this lady named Betty Jean Robinson, this southern gospel singer. And I'm out there, tears coming down, saying, what a day that will be. Rejoicing. I couldn't have filled a thimble with what I knew of the Bible. My first, what you might call sermonette, the, what the church we was in, it was kind of an open thing. I stood up the very first time I read Scripture. I read right over there where I was at, and I skipped this part a second ago in Matthew, where he says, you know, the, God cares for the, the birds. He says, even, you know, that God cares for them. The birds, you know, they, they don't go late and try to figure out how to eat. God provides, you know what, my... my uh, Assessment of that was, my profound teaching that night was, brethren, we're no better than the birds. God cares for us too. My only hope was they were just as dumb as I was. That was my first shot at preaching, okay? We've come a long ways. In that, I've come a long ways in my understanding. But it's a very humbling experience Man, I, I believe the doctrines of grace. I can defend the doctrines of grace. I can have pity on those that maybe don't get it like I do. You know, and I'm just kind of halfway joking. I mean, I'll, I've got friends that don't agree with me, and man, we labor together. But, but the point is this, I, my understanding, my, my, what I know in the Word of God, my ability to look here and there and remember things, I mean, it's all from God, and, and I rejoice in it. And then I come across somebody that is a new Christian, and I mean, they look rough. They, they, got, they got tattoos. Some of them are bad tattoos. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't look like I look. They don't look like the people I run with. But there is such a joy just pouring out of them. And then I, I look at myself and I'm like, there's frustration. There's some bitterness. But Lord, wait a second, but, but I've put all this time in, and I've been doing this for over 30 years. I mean, they, they shouldn't be having all this joy, and I should be missing out on it. I ought to worship Jesus just because He's Jesus. Jesus, He told us that, that we would have a childlike faith. Old Vance Hadner, the old Baptist preacher, tells a story about a, an older evangelist named Gypsy Smith. And I don't think Gypsy's doctrine would line up with us. Gypsy wasn't an educated man. He was a very vibrant, excited preacher. I mean, God worked a lot of things through him, it sounds like. Gypsy Smith, by his own testimony, wasn't an educated man. He would be reading, preaching the Scriptures. He would get to a word he didn't know. He said, I would stop before it. I would elaborate some. I would skip it and pick up. In his 80s, mid to late 80s, he's still preaching. And somebody sat down with him for an interview. And they said, Gypsy, how is it after all of these years... There's still such a vibrant freshness to your preaching. And here was his answer. 
I've never lost the wonder. The wonder of just being with Christ. I know, that's pretty convicting, isn't it? Oh, I've been a Christian all these years. I mean, I should, we should be on autopilot, shouldn't we? Oh, man, I mean, think about it. You, you, you want to get in reform stuff. I mean, hey, we've got the 1689. We've got all these creeds, all these confessions. Man, we, we claim to be confessional. All of these things, how dare you? Our joy is just automatic, but yet on the inside. I'm frustrated. Jesus, don't you care? Look at all I'm doing. And how can this new Christian be so full of joy and they haven't done anything for you? Lord, look at the way they are. How could that be? It's amazing, isn't it? Do you know that to God it's never about your production that makes you close to Him? It's never about what you do. It's always about being with Christ. We talked about Jesus praying yesterday in our men's uh, get-together downstairs. I made this statement that if there's anybody that did not need to pray that's ever been on planet Earth, Jesus would have been the one that did not need to pray. That would be my assessment of that. So why did Jesus spend so much time in prayer? Why did he spend all night in prayer? Why would he get up before the sun would get up to go out to a solitary place and find time to pray? Why would he spend his last hours three times in prayer? Right before he's going to die. He loved his father. To say he was in relationship with his father would be an understatement. He communed with his father. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's not saying a word. She's hanging on his words. Martha's frustrated. Martha's worried. Martha's weary. She's getting bitter. And it's not because she was doing sinful activities. She had welcomed Christ into her home. Have you welcomed Christ into your home? And I don't mean the welcome like, yeah, Jesus, come on in, but I'm going to be doing all these things. You just make yourself at home here, but I've got a lot of things I have to do, and, and oh, I'm doing it for you. I want you to think about this, parents. As you get older, your children get older. Don't you wish you could keep them at that little age, like that little guy right there? When you're important... When every time they're scared, they come to you. When they're sick, they come to you. And then they get older and they just start going. It's just the way life is. And even sometimes we get together and everything is so busy that when it's all over, it was just a lot of noise and busyness, but you didn't really get to spend the time together like you want. And you're like, man, we've got to try this again. As a parent, you long for your children to to come home, so to speak, and just really spend time together. And the only time it really stands out to us is when they're gone. 
the only time it really stands out. And then all you can say is how I wish I would have spent more quality time really visiting, really communing together. And I'll, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. What's worse than that is we do that with God. We're Christians. We know all the right things, or at least most of them. We'll admit we don't know it all, but we're in a good place. People talk highly of me. I mean, people have a lot of respect for me. I've arrived. I'm there, I guess. And all the while on the inside, there's something just shouting out that's missing. And it's just that place where we come and we just rest in Christ. We're just resting. We're not frustrated. We're not weary. We're resting in Christ. And do you mean to tell you something? You can be doing that while you're doing four. But you cannot separate yourself like that and be doing four and resting in Christ. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be going backwards. You're going to be just wrenching your... You know, if I had hair, I'd be pulling it out, you know. Bruce knows what I'm talking about. Now listen to this. When he says Martha, Martha, it's kind of like saying, Dear Martha, you're so worried, you're so troubled about many things. But he says this, But one thing... One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. I think in your Bibles it says that good portion. Now, I think it's almost like he's saying this. Martha, you've made us a wonderful meal. You've gave us some good lamb leg right here. I'm sure they didn't have barbecue ribs like we'd eat them. Probably impermissible back then, right? They had barbecued lamb of leg, and they had all the fixings that go with it. And I don't know what kind of sourdough dessert they made, but it was probably fantastic. And it's been great. But Mary has chosen the best dish. He said, I am the bread of life. When Jesus spoke, he said, I have bread to eat of that you don't even know of. There's nothing more satisfying to the hungry soul than Christ. And yes, we're going to have some pizza, and we're going to enjoy it, and we're probably going to get too full again, and we're going to build a fellowship. But none of that stuff compares to the one thing that is needed. And that one thing that is needed needs to be the thing that we choose above all else in life. That if, if we had the options of having a life of everything this world would have to offer, we could still be serving Christ, you know, so to speak. You could be a Christian. Or if he stripped everything away, but you had the tightest and closest of relationships with Christ that was imaginable, what would you pick? Think about this. Richard Wormbrandt. He had everything. I mean, he was a pastor. Everybody respected him. I mean, you know, he had a wife. I mean, he was being blessed. And God stripped it all away. And yet he never stopped worshiping. He never stopped choosing the good part being beaten every day. Think about these things. Mary has chosen the good, the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now I want to give you one more thing right here. I want to give you a, a contrast. I want to turn over to 
to, uh, to Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to read 30 to 34, and I'm going to contrast the disciples with Mary. Now, Mary was, it obviously did not travel with Jesus um, like the disciples. I don't know how much he was around them. I mean, obviously, we see a few places in Scripture where he would come to their town. I mean, one of them was, you know, when Lazarus had died, and, and we see this stuff. But the disciples were with Jesus quite often. Now listen to this. In verse 30 of Mark, chapter 9, it says, Then they departed from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it. Now listen, he says, For he taught the disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Now this is, this is some very important and major news to be listening to, right? And I think on one level, the disciples, they heard him. But it says, but they did not understand this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. So, they, in their mind, they think he's the Messiah that has come to defeat their enemies and reestablish everything, and they just missed it completely. They hear it, they're confused. You can almost see him walking in there going like, hey, he's talking about that dying stuff again, and you know what he's talking about? No, I don't know. You ask, no, I'm afraid to ask. But then you know what they weren't afraid to talk about? He came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, he said, What was it you disputed amongst yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. We see that stuff in church today. Now, Paul, he listed all of his uh, credentials because they tell him to. Because what? It gives you accreditation, right? Can I ask you a question? And I know Paul doesn't believe that either. Does that give you accreditation before God? Now, to men, it looks impressive. Okay, so mine just says, Ron Qualls, nothing. Okay? Finished 18th out of 28 in his senior, you know, his high school graduation. I mean, if you say I'm in the top 20, that sounds good, but there's only 28. Not real good, right? Paul and Justin, they're both grammar Nazis, and they tell me all the time, you can't use double negatives. Well, I'm not sure what they are anyway, but I said, apparently I can, because y'all keep telling me I can, and apparently I keep doing it. And people keep understanding, so I don't know, you tell me who's right and wrong, right? Here's the thing. They were sitting there talking about who's the greatest. We'll, we'll try to, you know, do measuring sticks. You know, we'll think, oh, this guy, man, this is John MacArthur. And we all love John MacArthur. You know you're probably at the top of the game when everybody, that when they don't agree with John MacArthur, they may not agree with anybody else, but they're always going to say, now MacArthur says this, and I just, because that, that's like, man, I've made a big stand here to disagree with Johnny Mac, right? And if there's somebody I wish I could meet, I would love to meet John MacArthur for one of us dies, right? Might have to wait till heaven, but... God doesn't view it like that. 
Here's all I can tell you. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise the third day, and they didn't get it. And their conversation picks up with, I, I think I'm going to be the greatest. I mean, I, you know, I got to walk on water. Yeah, but Jesus, I'm John, and, you know, I'm going to write about it. Jesus loved this disciple. I'm going to be very humble about it, but I'm going to let everybody know that Jesus loved me the most. Now, if you will, turn your Bibles over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Well, actually, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to read a little bit in verse or, or chapter 11, and then I'm going to get into 12. In chapter 11, this is when Lazarus has died. They'd come to Jesus and they said, hey, Lazarus, your friend Lazarus is sick. You need to come. And he, and he waits around four days. He's, he, he had died, and, and when he went, he just told his disciples, he said, look, I'm just telling you plainly, Lazarus is dead. So when he shows up, Martha tells him if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Then, he, then Mary comes. They come and tell Mary that Jesus is asking for her. And if you look in verse 32, it says, And when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, look, she fell down at his feet. When we see Mary around Christ, she's always at his feet. She's in the lowest position. And she says the same thing. And I just wanted to point out that she's at his feet again. She throws herself down. And we pick up in verse 12 here. And it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead whom he had raised from the dead. And, and there they made him a supper, and Martha served. Here's Martha serving again. Lazarus was one of those that sat at the table with him. He's kind of like in the seat of honor. And here's Mary. Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. And listen to this. She anointed the feet of Jesus. Here she is at his feet again. And she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Now I want you to get something right here. Remember the disciples were with Jesus all the time. And Jesus told them, I'm going to die, and they're not getting it. I don't know what Jesus talked about when we started in Luke 10. All I can tell you is that Mary sat at his feet and she hung on his words. And here, she anoints his feet with this expensive oil. Now, you've got to understand something. To any onlooker, this would look very wasteful. They weren't rich people. And it says, One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. And he said this, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. How in the world did, did Mary have the discernment that her Lord is going to die? And she anointed him for his burial. The best answer I can give you is this. When she sat at his feet, she was listening and taking in every word.
She was created for worship, and she was worshiping her Lord and her King, and soon to be her Savior. She was worshiping. How many times, church, do we, we get our Bible out and we read it because that's what we're to do as Christians? I heard Bruce talking about, man, he was just so excited about reading this. Well, I better get in there too and get excited. doesn't work that way. Well, I need to pray. I know I need to pray. Now listen, it's always good to pray. It's good to always read the Word. Even in the times when we're not doing it right, God will still bless that. But doing the right things for the wrong reason or the wrong motive is not going to put you in the right relationship. Why do you want to read? Uh, this is where I love Spurgeon. I love Spurgeon for a lot of reasons, but this one in particular. He read every passage looking for Jesus in it. Show me Christ. When we pray, why are we praying? Is it just to get that prayer out of the way so we don't got to get to the end of the day and go, man, I forgot to pray? Let's rush one out. Can you imagine husbands going to your wife and rushing out a conversation because you forgot to visit with her today? None of us like that look of like, you're not, you're not communicating with me. So you don't get to run in there and go, hey, I haven't been communicating with you, so here, let me go. doesn't work that way. No, they want you. They want your undivided, full attention. They want you to look at them the way you looked at them when you looked at them the first time. And you said, man, I've got to marry this girl. Christ wants you to look at him the way you looked at him when he opened your eyes to see him for the first time. And you said, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. I want to do whatever you have me do. Teach me, Lord. And he opened your mind and he taught you and all of a sudden you begin to depart. Still trying to do the right things. You go read the book of Ephesians and man, you see a church that is so blessed and so loved by God. He shows them all the riches in the first three chapters of all that God has done for them. And you go to Revelation in chapter 2, 30 years later. And he says, man, you're still doing all the right things. You're still making sure the guys preaching are solid. You're doctrinally sound, but I got a problem. You've left your first love. Where am I in this picture, Ephesians? 30 years later. It doesn't take long, does it? Little, little guy sitting right there, we got Tanner at five days old. And out of all of our children, all of our children were always, they always loved mama most. And that's typical. That's, that's kind of the way it should be. But when this little guy came along, he wanted daddy. He was sick. He wanted me to hold him. Man, it just shocked my wife, shocked me. But you know, I remember when he would get in trouble. And we'd discipline him, or I'd discipline him. He would charge me. I mean, he would run at me crying. And he would bury his face in my chest. And I'd say, no, you get over there. And then he would, I mean, he would fight me, not like fighting me, but to get to me. He wanted my arms around him. He wanted me to be holding him. But as he gets older, and we get on him, he does no longer run to me. Now he goes that way, angry sometimes. Where are you at, Christian? 
Where are you at? Created for worship. Not to worship the things that God has done for you. Not to worship all that you're doing for Him. When the disciples came back and they said, Even the demons are subject unto us. I don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are simply in the book of life. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that you know me. You're hungry? Feast of me. I'm the bread of life. You're thirsty? Drink of me. I'm the water of life. I had to come all the way to Kansas to preach this to myself. As I was walking over here praying to come in and pray with Dexter, I said, Lord, am I just preparing a sermon? Am I in a text? Which one am I? Am I Martha or am I Mary? Do I just not want to look like a fool? Because last time I preached here, I, I, uh, I thought, I said, hey, I need a do-over. That was not good. That was my estimation. Why, why do I want to preach? Why do I want to do anything I do? Is it because I want to just be so close to Christ or is it because I want recognition from you? Is it I want to be known? I want my name to be respected and all that. And somebody, when I die, they go, oh, what a man of God. I want to read to you. I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to read to you. A lot of times I preach and I'll ask my wife, and this is a dangerous thing for preachers, but I ask my wife, I said, what would you think? And I'm going to tell you my wife's a tough critic. But I, I trust my wife. If my wife says, man, that was good, I'm like, I don't care what y'all thought. I'm taking that one to the bank. That one was good. I got up one morning, and this was on my Bible. It's not what people think about you after you preach, but what they think about Christ. I keep that in my Bible to always remind myself. I don't care if you know my name. I don't care if you remember who I am, I don't, you know, if you can associate this sermon with me, but if you can remember the sermon and, and if it causes you to grow, grow, grow closer, to draw nearer to Christ, that's all I really care about. That's all I want to care about. So my question to you today is this. Is your relationship about trying to do for Him, thinking that's going to get you close, or is your relationship to Christ about being in Christ? That everything from your relationship that flows out, all the things you'll do. See, remember this. Christ said, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's never about Christ not being with us. The question is, are you staying in Christ? Father, this morning, I want to come before you, and I pray, God, that you would look down upon me. And I guess this is my prayer, Lord, that you would get glory for yourself. Glory for yourself, and that, God, that you would take these things, that it would be good for us. God, help us to draw near in ways that we have never experienced before. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.